Gentlemen, God bless you this morning. Let me invite you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Luke in chapter number 23. Luke chapter number 23 this morning, and I'd like to begin in verse number 32. Uh, Luke chapter 23 and verse number 32, and what a wonderful morning to be in God's house and, and with God's people. I was just early this morning, watched the sun rise over the mountains. What a gorgeous morning, and, and what a great reminder that resurrection day and the ladies came to a sepulcher and they found the angels there saying, why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. Years ago, right here in the state of California, it was an Easter Sunday morning. A pastor named Alfred Ackley down in the L.A. area was, was up early that morning getting ready to go to church. Uh, of course, with the time difference, back on the East Coast, they were already in their services. And, and on that day, the, the radio was broadcasting from a notoriously liberal church out of New York City. And there the minister on Easter Sunday morning was preaching, well, it doesn't matter whether or not Jesus rose or not. It doesn't matter if he really actually came out of the grave. We just feel good. Well, as Alfred Ackley was listening to that false minister preach that message or, or speak that message, he said he got angrier and angrier and finally just took his razor and he just threw it into the sink and he said, I can't take this anymore. Alfred Ackley said for Easter he was miserable all day because all he could hear was the words of that liberal preacher. It doesn't matter whether he actually rose from the grave or no. Finally, at the end of the day, his wife said, Alfred, why don't you just write some words in, in answer to that guy? And it was Alfred Ackley on that Easter evening that took a pen and a pad, and he wrote, I serve a risen Savior, and he's in the world today. I know that he is living, and I don't care what that sorry minister says. I see his hand of mercy, and I hear his voice of cheer, and just the time I need him, he's always near. That's why this morning we can sing that third verse if you're saved. Rejoice, rejoice, O Christian, lift up your voice and sing eternal hallelujahs to Jesus Christ the King, the hope of all who seek him, the help of all that find. None other is so loving, so good, and so kind. He lives, he lives. Christ Jesus lives today. I'm grateful and thankful that I can join your pastor and join Bible Baptist Church and say what a joy it is to serve a risen Savior. He lives even today. And so why does it all matter? Why is it so important? Why did Jesus Christ go to a cross and why did he rise from the dead? And of course, the answers are many, but the critical answer is so that you and I, who are the enemies of God, you and I that are sinners before him, you and I can know that we have eternal life. I've met people, and perhaps you have as well, who make the statement, well, God needs to prove himself to me. I'm sorry, Pastor Brown, but I'll never believe anything unless God proves himself to me. And do you know how God responds to that in the Bible? But God commendeth his love toward us. That word means he proved. God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I need God to prove himself to me, Pastor Brown. And God says, but I did prove my love for you. I have given my son to die on the cross for your sins. I have given my son to die for you. And if that is not enough proof, what is it exactly that you need? What is it exactly that's going to change things for you? Uh, no, it's the problem with people who think they need proof. They keep moving the goalposts. They need more proof and more. But God said, my proof is on the cross of Calvary. The reason for the cross and the reason for the empty sepulcher is because the Lord Jesus died for you and he died for me. 
And so this morning, would you take a look at your Bible with me to Luke chapter number 23. And in verse number 32, the Bible tells us that as Jesus Christ is going to the cross, he has been sentenced to die by a cowardly judge named Pilate. I mean, you talk about injustice. The judge of his trial didn't say it once, twice, three times. He said, not guilty. And to tell you the truth, he didn't even say not guilty. He went even worse than that. He said there is no fault in him. I mean, it's not like, well, we know the guy did it, but we can't prove it. So wink, wink, we let him go. No, the judge of the trial said there's nothing to see. There's not even a stain. There's not even a spot. Forget about a crime. Forget about some sin. He said with Jesus, he has done nothing amiss. There's not one error in him. And somehow that judge says, away with him, crucify him. So the Lord Jesus Christ has been led to a place called Golgotha. That means the skull. And now they have laid out that cross and the hands of Jesus are nailed. Sometimes they would, sometimes they would not nail the feet of a victim to a cross. We know for Jesus that they nailed his feet to the cross because a thousand years earlier, God said, they pierced my hands and my feet. And now that cross is hanging between the heavens and the earth. The Lord Jesus Christ is going to die by the shedding of his blood. He is going to give his life for you and give his life for me. But not just you and not just me. There is someone else Jesus is dying for this day. In Luke chapter 23 and verse number 32, the Bible says, And there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. That word malefactor is a word that means a very, very bad man. Two very bad men are dying with Jesus. Father, I pray for your help as we go to the word of God that you would speak to every single one of us. For those in this building that say, I know that risen Savior is my Savior, may Calvary and the love of the cross, may the victory of that day ring in our hearts and in our lives. May Jesus be our priority. Now, Father, I pray for the one in this room that has never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you please help them understand the reason for the cross and the reason for that empty sepulcher? We pray in Jesus' great name. Amen. And the Bible tells us that as Jesus is hanging upon the center cross, to each side there is another cross. And on those two crosses are two very bad men. You know, there was a third cross that was reserved that day for a man named Barabbas. And Barabbas was a murderer and a revolutionary. If anybody deserves to be on that third cross, it is this man Barabbas. But now it seems that Jesus has replaced Barabbas. And perhaps those were the crimes of those other two. Uh, I, the Bible tells us we know that they were thieves. And we know that they were criminals. We know that they were guilty of the worst of crimes. For the Lord Jesus hanging upon the cross, the judge of the trial said there's not one error in him. But for these other two hanging on the cross, they are very, very bad men. I mean, even in America, even in our society, the death penalty is reserved for the worst of the worst, for the criminals, above all criminals. I mean, there are people cross a line that is so deep, it is so horrific, that there's only one just punishment for them. And so it is 2,000 years ago that hanging between the innocent, pure Son of God, the innocent Lamb of God, are these two wicked, dirty, vile, bad men. I don't know if you and I could imagine men that were more wicked 
men that were more evil. And to make matters worse, as the morning begins, somewhere about 9 o'clock when they're crucified, both of these very bad men are taunting and mocking the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it's one thing to be sorry. It's one thing to be evil. It's one thing to be wicked. But now hanging upon the cross with their last breath, why these criminals begin the morning mocking and taunting the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, their song, their words would be familiar ones at the crucifixion. If thou be the the Son of God, save thyself and us. Really? If thou be the Son of God? Really? You know, that day there were three different groups or individuals that said these words. First, there was the religious, I call them the religious establishment. You know, the guys in the robes and the guys that speak in language nobody can understand. The religious crowd. They were the ones responsible behind the scenes to put Jesus on the cross. When you watch the religious crowd in the book of Luke, you know, they start out reasoning in their heart against him. Down here, they're opposing him. By the time you get to the middle of the book of Luke, the Bible tells us how it's written all over their faces. You know, they're just, their face shows what's in their heart. But by the time Jesus is upon the cross, they are taunting him. And the religious leaders are mocking him. And they're saying, if thou be the son of God, there's somebody else who mocks Jesus with the words, and that would be the Roman soldiers. I mean, these pagan, unsaved men, these drunkards, these Roman soldiers that are about as cruel and evil as humans could be. And in the name of the Roman government and in the name of authority, they are driving with glee the nails in the hands of these victims. You know, most people, save for Jesus, hanging upon a cross would use their last breath to curse the ones who put him there. And the Roman soldiers, well, they're the kind of guys that would just laugh at that. And now they pick up the same mantra, if thou be the son of God. And so now when these malefactors, these very bad men, these criminals that are so evil, they are dying for their crimes. Now when they hang on the cross and they say, if thou be the son of God, we've heard it three times. We have heard it from the religious elitists. We have heard it from the vile Roman soldiers. And we have heard it from the very bad men. If thou be the son of God. But you know, you hear those words one other time in the book of Luke. And you have to go back three years. The Lord Jesus Christ is standing on a mountaintop with Satan. And Satan says, if thou be the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. No, it wasn't original with the malefactor, and it wasn't original with the religious establishment. It wasn't original with that Roman soldier. Every time they look at Jesus and say, if thou be the son of God, they are quoting their father, the devil, and the lust of their father, they will do, uh, mocking and taunting. The day begins with both of these criminals mocking the son of God. Can you see the enormity of this with me this morning? Here is a man that has been condemned die for his crimes. Here is a robber. Here is a thief, perhaps even a murderer. Here is a man that has gone as far as society lets him go. And the Roman Empire says, enough of you. We are going to make you a spectacle, an example. You have crossed the line and you are going to die. We are talking about a man that the Bible has to use an unusual word to describe. A malefactor. A very bad man. We are looking at one of the worst of the worst. 
And would you look down in your Bible at verse number 43? Because a man who was dying for his crimes, a man that is so wicked and he is so evil, he has been condemned to die, a man who started that morning taunting and mocking Jesus. Now in verse number 43, Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Did you catch that? We are looking at a man that was so wicked he is dying for his crimes. We are looking at a man that an unusual word is reserved for him. He is not just a bad man. He is a very bad man. He is a malefactor. He is hanging upon the cross. He starts that morning mocking and taunting the Son of God. And yet by 3 o'clock in the afternoon, something incredible has happened. The Lord Jesus has spoken to him. And the Lord Jesus didn't say simply, today you're going to paradise. Today you're going to heaven. He said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Can you figure the enormity here? Here is a man dying for his crimes. Here is a man that is as wicked and as evil and as pagan as he could be. And all of a sudden in his dying breath, Jesus gives the man eternal life. Ladies and gentlemen, if the Lord Jesus could save that guy from his sins then the Lord Jesus can save any one of us. You might be here this morning and say, wait a minute, preacher, you don't know what I've done, and you don't know where I've gone, and you don't know the things that I've said, and you don't know the crimes that I've committed. And of course, flying in yesterday from Phoenix, Arizona, all of that is true. I don't have a clue. Now, usually by the end of the week, everybody thinks some, the preacher told you everything about me, but no, he didn't, he doesn't, and he won't. Understand this morning, I don't know where you've gone and I don't know what you've done. But here's what I do know, that if Jesus could save this guy, then he can save you. If Jesus could take a very, very bad man, a malefactor, who started that day cursing the Son of God, and a few hours later Jesus could say, today you're going to be with me in paradise. If he could do that for him, then he can save any one of us in this room. So how did he get saved? So what happened? You say, that's what I want. You don't understand, preacher, what I've done. You don't understand where I've gone. I mean, every day I live with this. Every day I beat myself up. Is there any hope for me? Can God save a sinner like me? Could God rescue a man, a lady like me? If God can do it then, God can do it now. If God could do it there, then God can do it right here. If God could save a very, very bad man and say, today you'll be with me in heaven then understand there is hope for every sinner that is in this place. So if you would, if you have a Bible with you, if not, I'd encourage you to look next to the person with you. And I want you to see right from your Bible what happens to this man. Now, now forget about what a church says, or forget about what a reverend says, and, and forget about what your favorite blogger says, and forget about what the writers say. Let's just go right to the Bible. And could I show you from your Bible what happens to this man? Let me start by saying what doesn't happen to the man. You will notice as we look at these verses that he never shows up in a church like this. You will notice as we go through these verses that he never gets baptized. You will notice as we go through these verses that, that why he never went to a meeting, he never walked forward, he never prayed a prayer, he, he never signed a card. You will notice that he never makes a confession. You will notice that all the stuff that religion says you have to do to go to heaven, this guy doesn't do any of that. And do you know why? Because the Bible says if you want to go to heaven, it is not by works of righteousness which we have done. 
You know why most people can't go to heaven? Because they're trying to work their way there. And before anybody can go to heaven, they have to realize I'm a sinner and I cannot work my way to heaven. So all of the religious stuff you've heard, all of the good deeds of religion, brother, when, when you're hanging on a cross and the blood is pouring out of your body, when you're about ready to take your last breath and those Roman soldiers are walking up with an ax and one of them's going to break your leg and you're not going to suck any more air and you're going to suffer and die. In other words, when you got your clock of your life at 11.59.59, you don't have time for religion. So we are looking at a guy that has zero religion. How does he get saved? How do you go from very, very bad man, a malefactor, to today thou shalt be with me in paradise? Notice right in your Bible what happens. It all begins in, in verse number 32. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You know, up until this point, we've got malefactor, uh, number one, criticizing and laughing and mocking Jesus. But all of a sudden, on that center cross, Jesus says the most unusual thing. You know, when somebody was crucified, they would spend their last hours mocking and yelling and cursing in the profanity. They would curse the judge, they would curse the soldiers, they would curse the world, they cursed everything. They were vile and they were wicked and they held nothing back. I mean, the last thing anyone ever heard on a cross is somebody saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And those words capture the heart of this thief hanging on a cross. Nobody had ever seen that. Why, you haven't even done anything wrong. And that's the Roman soldier that drove the nail in your hand. Over there's the Roman soldier that crushed the crown of thorns in your brow. Over there's the people. They took your meals and your miracles. And now they're screaming, crucify him, crucify him. Over here's the religious leadership. They have defied you and opposed you every step of the way. Everywhere you turn, there are those that hated Jesus. There are those that did everything they could to put him on the cross. And now Jesus looks up. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And the first thing that happens to our friend on the cross, this very bad man, his heart is captured by the grace and the mercy of Jesus. How could he say that? How could somebody love their enemies to the extent, to the place? You know, to us, loving our enemies means tolerate them, but not to Jesus. To Jesus, loving his enemies meant, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I No one's ever heard such a statement, and the love of Christ has captured the man's soul. And so in verse number 39, the Bible says, and one of the malefactors which were hanging railed on him, our, our other malefactor is just starting and he never stops. With his dying breath, he is still cursing the Lord Jesus Christ. If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But watch what happens in verse number 40. But the other answering rebuked him. Starting the morning, both the malefactors are mocking Jesus. But now, now, when Jesus says, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. Uh, the heart of this other malefactor is changed. And now hanging upon the cross, he looks at his buddy and he rebuked him. He's got some very strong words for him. He said, dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation. A man on a cross knows there's only one end to this thing. 
the clock is ticking and the man knows that I'm going to die. And he says, I am in the same condemnation. I have been judged to die and I am not ready to die. So he looks at his buddy and he said, don't you fear God? Don't you fear God? And you know where salvation begins? Salvation begins when a man, when a lady has a fear of God in their heart. That fear of God that says, I am going to die and I am not ready to die. You know, it doesn't matter how healthy we may be this morning. It doesn't matter how strong. doesn't matter how much time you spend down at the gym. Every single one of us in this building know that unless Jesus comes, every one of us have an appointment with a cemetery. Every one of us have an appointment with eternity. One day it's you. One day it's me. One day the doctor puts the blanket over our heads. One day it's over. One day the Bible says it is appointed unto men once to die and after death a judgment. And you know the sad thing this morning is that most people live their lives and they never think about eternity. Oh no, a, a man will spend his life preparing for tomorrow, right? I mean, he's a kid in school. You prepare so you can go to college. When he's in college, you prepare so you get a good job. Then you prepare to get married. You prepare to have children. You prepare for your vacations. You prepare for your retirement. You prepare for your kids' future and their education. And you and I have been taught all of our life, prepare, 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 but the same man will spend 80 years on this planet and never prepare to meet his God. Ladies and gentlemen, it may not be popular on resurrection morning, but you have an appointment with eternity, and I have an appointment with death. And God said it is appointed in a man once to die. It doesn't matter how rich somebody is. Go ahead. On the way home, you can stop at a cemetery in Marysville, California, Yuba City, California. And if you walk through those graveyards and you take a look at the stones, oh, you'll certainly see the gravestones of very old people, but you also see the gravestones of very young people. You'll see them of every nationality, of every race, of every background. It doesn't matter. Rich man, poor man. It doesn't matter what we look like. It doesn't matter where we live. Every single one of us in this building have an appointment with eternity. And the sad truth is that most people are going to live this week. They're never going to think. They're never going to consider. Oh, every now and then we wind up at a funeral. Every now and then one that we know is gone. Every now and then a loved one, a neighbor, a co-worker dies and, and we find ourselves for just a brief moment considering what happens when I'm laying in that casket and then it comes and then it goes but when this man is hanging on the cross he says do you see these nails that I'm dying and I am dying today and I'm not going to be alive to see the sun rise in the morning and I am not ready to die sir don't you fear God you lived your life loving yourself you lived your life in crime you lived your life living it your way don't you fear God don't you fear God don't you understand today you're going to die and hanging upon this cross this very bad man watches Jesus say father forgive them and then he takes a look at himself and he says I'm going to die and I'm not but keep going, if you would, in verse number 30, uh, verse number 40. The other answering rebuked him, saying, Doth not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And when we come to verse number 41, I, I would have you notice, if you would, those first four words. Because if you are looking for four words that will explain why most people will never go to heaven, here they are. Hanging upon the cross, he said, and we indeed Justly. There it is. 
He's hanging upon the cross saying, do you see these nails? This is justice. This is what I deserve. He says, I deserve to die and I deserve to die today. I am a guilty man. I am a condemned man. I deserve to die and I deserve to be in hell before the sun sets tonight. And we indeed justly. And you know, that's the attitude. That's the thinking. Those are the words that keep more people from being saved. The Bible tells us the Lord Jesus said, I have not come to call the righteous people. I have not come to call all the religious people. You know, there are people who say, why do I need Jesus dying on a cross? I mean, I keep the Ten Commandments. Why do I need Jesus dying on a cross? Let me tell you all the good things that I have done. And yet the Bible tells us no matter who we are, no matter what we think about ourselves, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. We are all as an unclean thing. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It may be that our sins are not so desperate and so dirty and so evil that they put us on a cross receiving capital punishment. But this morning, every single one of us stand condemned and guilty before God. You can look at the Ten Commandments. There's actually 613. Who's counting? But you can look at the Ten Commandments, and and all we'd have to do is read them. All we'd have to do is look at them. And by the time we're done, you and I would have to bow our heads and say, I haven't kept the commandments. Even worse, kind of like a a police detective I was sitting with uh, across a table at a restaurant in Chicago one day. And I said, Joe, I said, big tough guy, you know, Joe, how you doing with the Ten Commandments? And, and I listed them, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Honor thy father and mother. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not cover, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. I said, Joe, how you doing with those commandments? And he looked at me, he said, I'm 0 for 10. And I never quite heard that. It caught me a little funny. I laughed and I said, to tell you the truth, Joe, you're not the only guy at this table who's 0 for 10. Because God said if you and I somehow could keep the whole law, 612 of them, but we managed to break one of those laws, we are guilty of the law. We are guilty before God. You know why most people will never be saved? It's because they're not willing to come where this guy does. I am getting what I deserve. If I got what I deserved, I would die and go to hell. I am a sinner. I am guilty. I am condemned. God said, thou shalt not. And I said, I think I will. And then God said, thou shalt. And I said, I think I won't. And I stand before you like this thief hung on a cross 2,000 years ago, like Brother Brown behind me. We stand here as men that say, guilty, 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 I have sinned against God. And until you and I are willing to look at ourselves and let the Bible show us the sinners that we really are, we can't be saved. And we, indeed, justly. For we receive the due reward of our deeds. But keep going, if you would, in verse number 41. At the end of that verse, he looks at the Lord Jesus Christ, and he says it, but this man hath done nothing amiss. Do you see him hanging upon the cross? Now he's going to die, and I'm not ready to die. And he says, I'm getting what I deserve. I am a guilty man. I am a very bad man. But then he looks at the center cross, and he said, he has done nothing amiss. You know, I love that. It's kind of the same thing Pilate said. It's not like he said, you know, he never murdered anybody. It's not like, well, he never held up the bank. It's not like, well, he was never a a, a dope pusher. Oh, no, no. No, he looks at Jesus. Forget all that other stuff. He's never done anything out of place. Forget about sin. He never got there. He never even came close. 
It's not that he never said the wrong word. He never thought the wrong word to say it. It's not that he ever did the wrong thing. He never, he never got close to doing the wrong thing. He has never done one thing amiss. He is perfect and he is holy and he is harmless. He is the son of God. I am a guilty man. I am a sinner above sinners. But there's Jesus. He is the perfect, sinless son of God. I guess my favorite story I love to tell when I'm preaching is about a little guy, a little eight-year-old boy. He walked up to his preacher one day and said, Preacher, he said, I want to get baptized. Oh, you know, like a good preacher, Brother Brown would do the exact same thing. The preacher said, oh, wait a minute, son. You know, before you get baptized in the Bible, now religion does it different, but the Bible's different than religion. You know, religion will take a little baby and is baptized, not in the Bible. In the Bible, the only ones who are baptized are those who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. You say, is that so? You say, I'm not sure about that. Yeah, I wouldn't take my word for it either. Why don't you check the Bible and see for yourself? In the Bible, you have to be saved. You have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Then you get baptized. What a preacher's a little worried about that, like Brother Brown would be, you know, especially when there's a little one. You want to make sure they understand. So this eight-year-old boy walks up to the preacher. He said, I want to get baptized. And the preacher said, no, no, wait a minute, son. Before you get baptized, you got to talk to me about being saved. How did you get saved? And this little guy looked up at his preacher and he said, well, he said, I did my part and Jesus did his part. Uh, the preacher got a little stirred up with this, you know, because he did his part. You know, a lot of people think, I did my part. You know, I prayed or I did my part. I joined a church. I did my part. I gave money. You know, and the preacher's a little worried about this answer. You did your part and Jesus did his part. What do you mean by that? And that little guy looked up. He said, well, preacher, I did my part. I did all the sinning. Jesus did his part. He did all the saving. That's exactly what's going on on this cross. This thief is hanging on the cross, this very bad man. He's on this cross saying, I did all the sinning. I am guilty. I deserve to die. I am here because I ought to be here. I'm a very bad man. I did all the sinning. But the one on that cross has done no sinning. He's the only one who can do the saving. Here you see the story with me. We are looking at a very bad man that is dying. He is being executed by the Roman Empire. And yet while he hangs upon that cross just a few hours away from dying, he starts the morning mocking the Son of God. And now the Lord Jesus Christ, by the end of the day, has said, you're going to be with me in heaven. What happens? Number one, he sees Jesus with his amazing heart of compassion. Lord, forgive them. Number two, he looks at himself and says, I'm going to die, and I'm not ready to die. He looks at himself and says, I am guilty. I am condemned. I deserve to die and be to hell. I am getting justice right now. But then he looks at Jesus and he says, there's the sinless, perfect son of God. He's the only one who can save me because Jesus Christ is perfect. And now in verse number 42, the Bible tells us, and remember what religion's going to say, right? Oh, you got to join this. You got to give money here. You got to do this. You got to give money here. You got to pray this. You got to give money here. You got to have this right. You got to give money here. You got to do this. Give money here. Son, that the give money thing, it always shows up, doesn't it? You know, religion's got all this program, all these plans. Okay, look in your Bible. We are looking at a guy that is worse than any one of us, humanly speaking. And he is about ready to get the gift of God, which is eternal life. And it's not me saying it or Brother Brown saying it. It's Jesus saying it. And how does this happen? Look at how simple this is. 
In verse number 42, he said unto Jesus, we know he's talking to, uh, Lord. That name, and there, there's dozens of names for Jesus in the Bible, but that name's the one that seems to rise to the top. Jesus and Christ, the Lord. A uh, name that means you are the Savior, Lord. The one who rescues and delivers. Lord, Lord, he said, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Did you hear what he said on the cross? Lord, remember me when thou comest. Brother Brown, we got a problem here. That's not how we tell him to do it. Did you see those words? Lord, remember me. I mean, we think, oh, you know, you've got to say it just right. Make sure you don't sneeze when you say it. Make sure your shoelaces are tied when you say it. But, you know, in the Bible, there's nothing to say. I've got to tell you, for all the hundreds and hundreds, thousands of gospel tracts I've read, I've never turned to the back and read this one, Lord, remember me. But, you know, for all the prayers that don't work, this one really does, doesn't it? Lord, remember me. You think, well, isn't there some magical prayer to pray to get saved? Oh, no. Prayers don't save, Jesus saves. You see, if there was a magic prayer you would pray to go to heaven, well, first of all, don't you think that prayer would be in the Bible somewhere? I mean, don't you think if there were words to say that get you into heaven, you know, Hail Mary, full of grace, or, or you know, the Lutheran confession, or, you know, the Baptist one, Jesus, I believe I already say amen. Don't you think if there were words, that could, they'd be like in Genesis 1, verse number 2? To be right there, right? The Lord would say, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, pray this. And it doesn't. Do you know why? Because people who are in, wrapped up in religion think, well, you know, I'm genuflected. You know, I've gone to this confession. I, I have made this prayer. I have done this. I've gone to the stations of the cross. I've said this, prayed this, done this. I've gone to the Baptist thing, the Lutheran thing, the Methodist thing, the Pentecostal thing. I've said this, I've said that. I've done this, I've done that. I, I mean, come on. I have thrown Pastor Brown enough arrows at the target. One of them must have hit, don't you think? But when it comes to eternal life, brother, it's not prayers, it's not confessions, it's not baptisms, it's not works of righteousness, which we have done. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And, and folks, sometimes we get more worried about how somebody said it than what was going on down here. And when that guy hanging on the cross is saying, I'm dying and I'm not ready to die, and I can't save myself, I'm getting what I deserve. But that one on the center cross is the pure, perfect lamb of God. And he didn't have to know how to say it. And he didn't have time to read a track. And he didn't even have time to come to Bible Baptist Church so we could preach and show him how. Hanging upon that cross, that desperate man said what he knew to say, Lord, remember me, remember me. And the Bible tells us that the Lord Jesus Christ had these words to say, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Do you know how great this is? There's just two reasons. This is so fabulous. First, the Bible says that if you and I will ever go to heaven, this is why resurrection day is so important. What they're singing about is why it's so important. Because the Bible says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You realize what just happens here? This is the first convert of Calvary. Hanging upon the cross, he confessed with his mouth the Lord Jesus, Lord, remember me. But then these words, when thou comest into thy kingdom, do you know what he's saying? He may not be saying it like we're singing it this morning, and, and we certainly got a different viewpoint of this than he did. And, 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 you know, Alfred Ackley had it better perhaps theologically than this guy did. But you know what he was saying? I, I know this cross isn't the end. 
I mean, if you and I were there looking at Jesus on that cross, we'd pretty much be thinking it's the end. His disciples, except for John, had forsaken him and fled. When you're looking at the suffering and the agony and the torture, you and I would say, this got to be the end. But this guy on the cross says, it's not the end. One day you're going to come into your kingdom. What he is thinking is, I, I know what I heard when I went to their version of Sunday school. I know that one day on that mountain over there, the king is coming, the Messiah is coming, and when he comes, he's going to march to the eastern gate. He's going to come to Jerusalem, and the king is going to reign forever and ever, and I know that's you. In other words, he was saying, I know this cross is not the end, that you're going to rise again. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. That's exactly what happens. Lord, I know you'll come. I know you'll live. And when you live, I want you to bring me one day with your kingdom when you reign in this city. And the Lord Jesus said, buddy, you don't know how good it is. One day I'm coming back to rule and reign on this earth. But he said, there is not only a very real kingdom coming one day. He said, there is a spiritual kingdom, a spiritual family right now. And Jesus said in verse number 43, Verily I say unto thee. And I know people say, what's that verily thing? Verily is truly on steroids. Brother, that's a, that's a great word. The only thing more would be like a double verily. Verily. If you ever see one of those in the Bible, ho, 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 it's time to kick off your shoes and say, here we go. Verily I say unto thee, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Sir, there is a physical kingdom where I will rule and reign. But long before that ever happens, there is a spiritual kingdom of people who have been born into the family of God. You say, how can you be born into the family of God? Exactly what happened here. This is what happened to the guy. And, and you know, if you put your finger on Luke chapter 23 and you say, Jesus, you know it and I know it. Oh, oh my family may not, or they may. Uh, the community may not, or they may. Uh, Brother Brown may know it or he may not. But you know and I know I'm a very bad man. Lord, you know what my thought life is like. You know what my actions are like. I am a sinner and I need a savior. I'm a very bad man. If you come to this chapter and say, I want what that guy had. This is why the Bible is so powerful. See, forget all the religious stuff. You know, forget all, if, you just, if you would come to this chapter, put your finger on these verses and say, that's what I want. I want eternal life. I'm a very bad man. I deserve to die. That's me. I, I mean, that guy's on a cross and I may never be on a cross, but I deserve to be. I am a sinner who needs a savior and if you'll come like this man did, I am guilty, I am hopeless. Jesus, I believe you died and you rose again for me. Jesus, save me. Jesus, remember me. Put your finger on this guy's prayer and make it your own. And if you'll drop off all the works of righteousness we have done, and if you'll throw aside all the religious deeds we think impress God and they don't, and if we just find ourselves about as helpless and as hopeless, and the Bible word is lost. Boy, that's a desperate word, isn't it? Lost. Jesus said, I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. And when we finally come to that place where my sins have separated me from God, I am so lost and so helpless, my only hope is a Savior. If we would come just like he did, you and I can have the same promise. As long as we're going to try to work our way to heaven by our religion and our good deeds, there is no hope. 
But if you and I would look on a cross and see Jesus who loved you and he died for you, he gave his life for me, buried in the ground, he rose again. And if we say, Jesus, I'm going to die and I'm not ready, Lord, you know what justice is. And if I ever had justice, I'd be in hell. I'm a sinner. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner who needs a Savior, and I believe you died and rose again. I'm trusting you. Lord, remember me. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this promise wasn't just for this fellow. It's for you and for me. Better than that, all the songs and all the glory and all the joy of he's not here, he has risen as he said. For the first time in your life, it's not just a religious exercise. For the first time, it'll be real in your heart. My Jesus lives. My Jesus saved me. Do you know him today? If not, my friend Brother Brown would love to have somebody help you from the Bible because the answer is never get religion. The answer is never get a Baptist church. The answer is never get in a tank. The answer is never do this, that, and the other thing. The answer is we can't do things. We need a Savior. This book will show you how to be saved. Would you let us help you from the Bible today? My Father in heaven, I ask and pray that even now the mighty word of God would do for a man, a lady, maybe even a young person, a teenager in this room, what it did so many years ago for that very bad man upon the cross. Lord, if you could save that man and give him eternal life, you can do the exact same thing in Marysville, California today. Father, I pray that the simple message of that bad man on a cross that the glorious fact of an empty tomb, an empty sepulcher, would help men, ladies, boys, and girls understand today Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Now our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. In just a second, I'm going to finish my prayer. And, and then we're going to play a song. What we do, we call it an invitation song. This is not an invitation to get religion because religion will never get you to heaven. But we would like to invite men and ladies and boys and girls to do exactly what this thief on the cross did, to come to Jesus just like he did, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but by the mercies of God who gave his son to die for you and me. Is Jesus Christ your Savior? I wonder just the stillness of this time, and, and I'm, I'm going to make a promise to you. I, I don't come down from this pulpit. I'm not going to point you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. If I knew your name, I wouldn't call it out. I don't do that kind of thing. But our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I'm going to pray in a second, and when I do, I would love to be able to pray for someone in this room. Is there someone here today that would say, you know, preacher, I want to know how the Bible says Jesus can be my Savior. If Jesus could save that guy on a cross, he can save me. I want to know what the Bible says about a sinner like me being saved. I'd love to pray for you, and if you'll let him, Pastor Brown would love to be able to help you from God's word. Not to get religion, but to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. So in the quietness of this time, not going to embarrass anybody, point anyone out. Is there someone in this room that would say, just like that bad man on the cross, I want Jesus to be my Savior. Please pray for me. Would you just quietly lift your hand? And again, we're not going to point you out. We're not going to embarrass you, but we'd love to pray for you. Sure, sure. Thank you. You can slip those hands down. Somebody else along with these. That's me. Sure, man, we'll be glad to pray for you. Somebody else along with these. That's me. I don't know that I'm going to heaven. And if Jesus could save that guy, I want him to save me.
Is there somebody else, if you'd lift your hand, that'd love to be able to pray for you? And if you let us, we'd like to help you right out of the Bible. Bad people can know Jesus the Savior. Is there anyone else before I pray? My Father, I pray especially for these who have lifted a hand this morning that you would help them understand that churches and religion and ministers and good works that we do will never save our soul. Bad sinners need the perfect Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray that even today would be that day they call upon the name of Jesus Christ and they come to the Savior just like that man on the cross. I pray this in the name of Jesus, my Savior. Would you stand together with me this morning?